Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Haig for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof. We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right. You're listening to Raise the Roof on 3CR. I'm Fiona and I'm joined in the studio today for the first time by our new co-host for the show, Leonie. Welcome, Leonie. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. I'm extremely excited to be here for the first time in this role. I'm it's going to be a steep learning curve. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic to have you. We haven't lost Pam altogether, but we're or Shane, we're um, we're just taking a little bit of a turn. So sometimes I'm here, sometimes Pam's here, sometimes Leonie's going to be here, and also we're never going to lose Shane altogether. As much as he might like to run away, he won't be able to. So um, yeah, it's really great to have a new team here at Raise the Reef on Three CR. Um, today we have some sad news. Um, Long-term members of Housing for the Aged will remember Frances Swan, who is um, who was one of our um, longest members, actually. She was one of our first life members. She sadly passed away last week after a short um, illness, and we were very sad to see um, Frances go. She was staunchly there at most of our meetings over many, many, many years, including our volunteer luncheons and our annual general meetings. Um, she always had a joke to tell and and um, was, you know, really well loved by lots of both members and staff. So um, our condolences to all of her friends um, and family um, who may be missing her right now from everybody here at HAG, um, the staff and the members included. So yeah, it's sad, it's sad to see people go, but um, Frances did really enjoy her time um, when she did come with us. So that's, that's what we're hoping that people will remember. And we'll have a feature on her involvement with our organisation in our next newsletter um, and also on our website. So yeah. So she will be sorely missed. She will be sorely missed. Mm. Um, today we actually on the show have an interview with Miffin Jordan, who is a um, who's a researcher with Per Capita, who's been doing some stuff on co-housing. And I know that's an interest of yours as well, Leonie, um, the co-housing area. Yes, well, in my group, uh, NASH, which is part of Ageing on the Edge, uh, our South Australian uh, committee members were very keen on exploring co-housing because there's something happening in South Australia that's being supported with the government. Oh, great. Initially, some research and talking about co-housing. Yeah, so we, we've got, we're featuring an article on co-housing in our September newsletter. Oh, fantastic. So um, we're going to head straight into this interview. It's actually, we have got to chatting so much about this um, exciting topic about co-housing and about the idea of a different sort of in-home aged care that the interview went over a little bit. So it's actually going to be split into two. So um, first of all, we're going to hear the first half of the interview 
this week and then next fortnight on our next show we're going to hear the second half of the interview with Miff and Jordan. So I'm going to, without further ado, um, head straight into that interview and, um, and yeah, I hope you enjoy it. We're joined in the studio today by Miff and Jordan and um, I'm also with Leonie who is um, going to help me have a little chat to Miffin today about her recent work in the co-housing space. So Miffin, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, who you are for people who may not have heard your name before? Um, yeah, as I said, my name's Miffin Jordan and my role at Per Capita is Director of Social Innovation, which sounds very highfalutin. It, it essentially means that I focus on doing extremely kind of participatory or co-design research with older people in the community to develop policy responses to key issues. So in the case of this research, um, our focus was on older women experiencing disadvantage, in particular in relation to housing outcomes, which will be no news to Haag, of course. No, we were very interested to hear about it. Um, so per capita, are they an organisation that mainly does research? or? or? Yeah, look, we're a think tank and some people may be a little bit unsure about that what that is, but we do a lot of um, research. Uh, we have a key focus on inequality and disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of research in terms of uh, reform economics. We have a program around that. Um, we have an interest in, particular interest in gender, and we do a lot of work around gender and also a focus on ageing, which has been funded by the Wicking Trust over five years in our Centre for Applied Policy and Positive Ageing, and that's where my work focuses. Oh, cool. We've got a little bit of funding from Wicking as well, which Leone is partially people. funded through. Oh, yeah. OK. Hi, Miffin. This is Hi, Leone. Leone. Hi, Fiona. Um, yeah, the project I work on in, at HAG is of also course. funded by the Wicking Foundation, yep. which is um, part of the Ageing on the Edge project. Yes. And I, I run the group that um, is basically the lived experience group for yep. that project okay. called NASH. That's our acronym. Yep. National, oh, well, I hate acronyms. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm just asking you about your research. Yes. Um, you've recently published some research called Mutual Appreciation. That's right. And you call it a think piece. I do you call it a think tell piece. Tell us about that. Uh, I suppose it's a kind of a, a, a slightly modern way of calling it a discussion paper, but it started out really as, you know, it's what we call social innovation or co-design research, which is really about kind of skilling up people in the community with the lived experience to, and giving them the tools to develop policy themselves. Mm. Um, so I guess from the outset, you're not really you're not exactly clear what the outcomes are going to be and we try not to be too prescriptive and um, the women involved, we, we had a group of peer researchers who helped us develop up the themes and the research questions. So from that, a whole load of ideas were generated. So when it came to the end of the project and we had thought, oh, we'll, we'll be able to develop up some really clear models around co-housing and co-care, because that was the other element we looked at, sort of pooling resources around aged care. Um, then we thought we'd come up with clear recommendations, but really what we came up with was a whole lot of new kind of, perhaps not new findings, but new ways of looking at things and a whole load of ideas which could influence those. So it was put together as a think piece rather mm-hmm. than a, a finite piece of research. So yeah. really a launch pad, hopefully, for future projects and future research. Yeah, so the, it's a bit of a work in progress and you really involved older people in, in the development 
of Absolutely. it. Yeah. yeah. So, so as I said, we have group research, um, peer researchers from the beginning who were trained around the issues facing what I call gender disadvantage um, in older age and looking at housing outcomes and care outcomes and the push factors around that. And they were trained up and then went out and conducted a series of community interviews, which yeah. were really quite quite complex. I mean, the, the peer researchers were really, you know, turned out to be an extraordinary group of women who, you know, I, I know this because I was the, the, the lucky person who had to, tr to transcribe all the hours and hours of audio tape, but really quite complex conversations around some difficult issues. So we kind of focused on past, present and future in terms of housing and care as we we grow old so some of those areas are quite complicated so it was with a lens of co-housing or ideas around cooperation and shared resources in older age um, but a lot more came from that yeah yes it seems like a very modern um, way to do research to really from the bottom up rather than the top down have you got a sense of the the difference in findings you might have had if you were doing it in, in in a way where you would just have you know experts coming in from with a top down view rather than it being generated by the women yeah look uh, absolutely and I think it, it just goes back to what I was saying about you know you don't start you, you start out with your hypotheses but they're not particularly prescriptive so from the very outset involving the peer researchers meant that we shaped the themes around the research and the questions quite differently than if I'd done it as a researcher by myself or mm -hmm. somebody with a focus on kind of you know, the economics of housing and public policy. So there was a lot more about the importance of experience and how women experience uh, the kind of notion of home as opposed to just bricks and mortar housing. Mm. Uh, what was important to them? You know, what, what, what does home mean? What does care mean? So not only from the outset of organising how the research was structured and undertaken, we then invited not only the peer researchers, but all the participants to come in and be involved in some all day co-design workshops, analysing the findings yep. and kind of trying to draw key points from that. So from that, the things which we found were, they weren't all related to housing, they weren't all related to care, but it, it kind of brought it all together in a really interesting sort of holistic way. Yeah, it sounds like a great, really great project, thorough thorough way of dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. look, I think yeah. it was. It was. Yeah, you were saying before we went on air, you were talking about one of the findings of your research, which... Um, really isn't surprising, but it was very strong findings of the, the, the gender disadvantage or the, the result of a lifelong gender disadvantage for women and that relationship to co-housing. Can you talk about that? Yeah, look, absolutely, Leonie. So I think, you know, uh, working for HAG and, and AG on the Edge, you'll be well aware of some of what we call the push factors or drivers for disadvantage for women in terms of housing outcomes and particularly housing outcomes in older age. So women across the life course experience particular what I call barriers to wealth accumulation. So, you know, they're those kind of structural barriers around, you know, the gender pay gap and patterns of paid workforce participation, which are very much shaped by women's unpaid care. Mm -hmm. So often looking after children, looking after ageing parents, etc. So what's usually termed sort of in the 
in the kind of economic circles as reproductive labour. So that kind of work which is focused around the home. So running a household, um, you know, raising children, as I said, and everything around that impacts women's ability to, to go and earn, uh, earn a decent salary, to reach a, a kind of seniority of positions in paid work, which might bring bring you know high enough wages which they can then accumulate for super and retirement savings um, it also shows the ways in which women um, approach this expenditure differently so that was another thing that women tend to focus not so much on the big ticket items like um, investing a kind of self-funded uh, retirement portfolio but focusing on their expenditure on the family yeah. on children on the day-to-day -day running of the household so often and this was obviously traditional as well because as I'm sure you know, women weren't actually able to get a mortgage by themselves up until I think it was 1972 or something and like that. And even after that, it was even difficult. After, yeah. yeah, so yeah. they had to have a male guarantor. They, yeah. you know, So all these kind of things. So women have traditionally not had a kind of a, a, a push to, to purchase property and see that as routinely part of their life course. So all these little barriers and the changes in expenditure and what they focus on does accumulate across the across the life course and lead to poorer housing and financial outcomes in older age, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I, in my research I did, I um, found uh, some other research that had been done into the actual economics of women's work. Yes. And it, that if, if women were paid for yes. the reproductive... Um, work that they do this yes. is just not this isn't including looking after parents or other types of work but yeah. just just raising children um that it would be the single biggest economy single biggest paid workforce in any yeah. country on the planet yeah it dwarfs that, all yeah. other um activities in terms of uh, it's if, if it was paid. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. I think we call that in, in kind of um, policy circles the, the care economy and there yeah. is this huge kind of unbalance between women contributing all this unpaid care work and the value mm. of that, which you've just mentioned. But then on the other side of that, there's the, the paid care workforce, predominantly female again, yet that work is also undervalued underpaid. and yeah. underpaid. So yeah. there's a real... You Relationship know, between the two. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so were the women that you were interviewing and participating in the research obviously weren't homeowners. So, and that's, is, is that where what you were, you were seeking women who had been in the home ownership seen and dropped out of it or had like were they private renters were they couch surfing mm. and and what do you why do you think that co-housing was something that they wanted or had they expressed that interest to you first how did that co-housing conversation come about yeah so look we we advertise quite broadly for women experiencing disadvantage yeah and then kind of added qualified that by saying you know either in relationship to housing or mm -hmm. to financial disadvantage 
the people we got um, applying to be interviewed were really diverse. I was really surprised by the diversity of the cohort. So we had women range. First, there was the age cohort. So we had women, I think the ages were in the end 54 to 84. So, you know, a huge quite, group with very different range. experiences of, you know, their gender roles and expectations, workforce participation. So, so, so really different there. A lot of diversity there. Also diversity in their housing circumstances. So perhaps to, you know, hug or home at last when your programs, somebody with, who has full home ownership and no mortgage, so zero housing costs in older age would be seen as somebody very advantaged in terms of housing. Um, but the, we had, I think we had about three full homeowners um, approach us. So they're all full age pensioners. But it, that was very interesting because it, you can still have security of tenure and housing costs, but feel that you're experiencing disadvantage. Uh -huh. uh, we also had quite a few younger women with struggling with mortgage debt in and out of the workforce or in insecure and low paid work, yeah. um, often with caring responsibilities. So the whole kind of, you know, pre-retirement group that have, you know, often known as sandwich carers. So they're looking after, you know, aging parents, often adult children, often grandchildren. So there were some really compelling examples around that. They felt they were at risk of keeping their housing. Uh, some had lost their home ownership through family breakdown, divorce, family violence, so all those kind of push factors. But we also had, um, you know, some really interesting women who, you know, I suppose you sort of typify them as the baby boomers who, who approached housing with a kind of a different, you know, they, they kind of had wanted, they'd sold up and gone, become, you know, I think we call them grey nomads. Yep. So that kind of travelling and, you know, buying the caravan and going around the country and you know, one of the women we spoke to had sold up after 12 years. Her, her children had grown up and she'd moved out. So she sold up and split up with her partner and, you know, d drove around um, Australia for, for a year or so. And then she, she was now working as a, a woofer down on a an organic farm somewhere in Victoria and, and was loving it, you know, and that, that was – but there was no – she hadn't sort of thought long terms yeah, in yeah. about housing yeah. outcomes and, and at a time when she may not be able to contribute that kind of manual work and, yes. and what would it then mean. She was having conversations with <laughs> the person who owned the farm. So, you know, they were talking about maybe putting tiny houses on there. So there's a lot of that um, – there's a lot of um, attract. There's, there's a lot of women and I'm sure men as well attracted to housing alternatives that yeah. are out there and getting something different from housing than our traditional, the way we look at it through as a kind of bricks and mortar security. So yeah. it was really around the, the social organisation of housing and that was what attracted a lot of people to the research and the co-housing was about, you know, it was about there was that and we'd gone in I suppose our hypothesis was around will it be worthwhile for women to pull financial resources and, um, you know, possibly share care in some sense, it's kind of mutual low-level care, um, and will that be a big pull factor and is there room to, to introduce that perhaps for the social housing sector in particular or government housing to target development of co-housing communities so that was a really big pull factor but we also found other 
pull factors which were related but a little bit different, which I found very interesting. Um, so you just started to talk about co-housing there. Can you tell us can you, what the difference is between co-housing and other types of community housing, group housing? What? Yeah, look, I mean, co-housing comes in many shapes and forms. There are a couple of um, models which we specifically explored during the research. So the first one was a, a model of co-housing already established in Australia and internationally called home share. So that's a model usually for somebody who's a homeowner who may be in need of support at home and they kind of can get somebody to come in and share their housing in exchange for providing care, low-level care, house help um, and some companionship. So typically they might take in a younger person, a university student who lives with them and then maybe helps out 10 hours a week. So it could be kind of doing the heavy lifting or preparing a couple of meals or sitting down and watching a DVD with them a few times. So they're they've kind of it's almost like a a house share sort of a situation and what did your participants think about that model oh look quite surprisingly because it is a fantastic model and it works extremely well for some people and um so I was expecting I knew we weren't going to have many homeowners so we were putting it as well to the women as is this something that you would do if you were experiencing homelessness and we did have some of the women um, interviewed that were experiencing homelessness so would you be tra attracted to a model like that where you could move in with somebody and really get free rent for for 10 hours care and support a week but almost unanimously the participants weren't keen on that model mm. they thought it was you know and I'm quote unquoting here and obviously uh, you, nobody can see me but um, a, a great idea but not for them okay. so they had concerns really in terms of I think you'd say the the kind of the intensity of the potential intensity or, or problems around the relationship so even though under the home share model the relationship is quite carefully managed by external providers who kind of match up participants and they, they really keep a close involvement with it for at least the first three months and check how everything's going and how the relationship's going. And obviously those the, the people that manage the program are very aware of potential vulnerabilities for people and potential tensions you know what what if the the tenant wants to have friends over for a meal you know so there's all these little things so that was of a concern to people and they just largely felt that you know it was great and it would be really good for someone but either they didn't have care needs that could be fulfilled that way at the time but mainly it was wariness about the intensity of the relationship and um, issues around loss of privacy or I'm that not sense surprised of lack of privacy. In the work I do with my group mm -hmm. it's very much been identified um, uh, with the older women in my group who have yep. experienced homelessness that they this is not a popular model for them. They okay. overwhelmingly want their own spaces. Yes, yes, and and it is it is often that thing of oh, you know, that someone who is homeless. Yeah, and I'm not saying this is what you're saying, but that they will be prepared to take anything, anything, yeah, and that they're not. Yes, they're actually not. No, no, yeah. they're not. And what yeah. what people want, you know, perhaps particularly as we age, is we want a a positive experience yep. of which 
is is a sense of home and mm, yeah. and a place and that was really what the research you know kind of unearthed a little bit the yeah. importance of you know what we describe in the report of home as a social relationship but at one which also guarantees privacy and autonomy and independence so it was really that kind of home or housing within a, a community a supportive community but really um you know protecting your own space that Mm. you can go back to and make your own and express yourself and feel safe to do that so it was it was a lot more complicated I think than we're (laughs) expecting and you know we were quite surprised by some of the 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 wariness about the home share model because it is an internationally successful model but I know that they do and and you know we met with them at the beginning of the the research and you know they do say they do struggle to attract people to it and you know they're never quite sure why so they found it quite interesting Mm. as well yeah um so that was one side of it. And then the other model we tested around co-housing, we called larger scale co-housing. And I'll be clear that this is, you know, when we talk about larger scale, this was around about, say, 25 units of housing. So not not really large in a sense, but it was just to kind of, um, you know, create a difference between the two. Um, we specifically talked about OUCH, which is, stands for Older Women's Co-Housing, which is a UK housing model. But we also mentioned the Baba Yaga's model, which is a French model, so a, a group of um, older French left-wing lesbians had got together and really um, kind of advocated for that model to government and got that built up. It's public housing, I and think. And that still go? That's That's, still- that, that model has been hugely successful and been adopted in Japan, in the US, um, not in Australia as far as I could see, but also in the UK. And it, it's not dissimilar from the OUCH model. So it, how, it how is, is it different from the OUCH model? Well, it, well it's not hugely different. No. I think um, just the terms, you know, I mean, it, with the Baba Yaga's model, I think there, there was a real sense of um, bringing together a group with shared values and shared purpose. And a lot of the women had known each other in advance. And as I said, you know, they were they were quite left-wing and, and a lesbian group and they'd kind of been active together over the years and that was how they brought them together. With the OUCH model, it was, um, from the outset, it was more a kind of social housing model which brought in women off a housing wait list rather than a group working together to develop it. But there, were a, there was a core group. Um, so they worked with a, a housing provider and developed up a new build and it was the organisation, they were involved in the, the kind of the planning of it. So if, it was very much on the traditional, you know, the co-housing model from, from Denmark where everybody's got a separate unit of housing. So the units, I think they kind of, they were, they were very nice two bedroom units with a little balcony. So everybody's got their own unit of housing, but there's shared resources so a communal garden a meeting room a shared kitchen dining room where 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 the tenants would come together once a week for a meal but they had their own kitchens as well they had their own kitchens as well i think there was um the only shared facility perhaps was a a a kind of shared laundry Laundry. facility so Mm. those things where they really thought that it was easy to share and they were happy to do that but you know, nobody wanted to be sharing meals every every, every meal every yeah. day with with a group of other people. Um, so the meeting rooms are really important, but it's really um, coming together not just in sharing the resources, 
but it is the governance and it's the self-governance. So the women in that model had control over um, who comes into new tenancies, for example. They have control over the budget around repairs and maintenance and the capital garden. works, the garden. Um, and it was there was an expectation that everybody contribute something but also an understanding that people can contribute in different ways mm -hmm. and that you know what you're able to contribute at any good given time can change and be impacted by you know your health or, yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. so a lot of those things and and so the smaller co-housing model is the same principles but just less houses is that basically what it is or is it different in some other way look the small co-housing model is really a tenant, it's more of a what I would call a, a, a flat share or a house okay. share. It's really about a house share, coming together to share a premises with one other person. Yeah. Whereas the co-housing was more about community. sharing a community. Yeah. So I guess it's it, it's broader and it's establishing something outside of the housing and outside of the notions of um, reciprocal care and friendship and networks. And it's really about, and this is what the research identified, and what, what attracted women to it was that idea around shared values, shared purpose, having a social role, a kind yeah. of really clearly defined and meaningful social role. Um, there was also a lot about just feeling that you would be noticed if you went missing yeah. or were unwell yes. I mean women mentioned and we, we we talked to them in in the research about you know what would be your kind of if you had a magic wand what would be your ideal older age you know what would that look like in terms of housing and care and so many of them talked about being part of a community being checked on regularly people noticing if I was not there feeling relevant, yeah. <laughs> having a social identity. So all those things we know are important across the life course, but particularly important as as our worlds may become a little bit smaller in older age and we're, we're less out and about in the broader world. And I think, I can't remember what the statistics are, but it's something like the, the kind of the area in which we traverse kind of narrows, narrows down, narrows right down yes. as we get yes. older. Yep. You know, we might not be able to drive, etc. So the kind of the proximity of relationships and social networks is increasingly important. Yeah. Mm. Yep, so that was Miffin um, at Per Capita and you can hear the second part of that interview um, next, next time you listen to the show and um, you can listen to it on our podcast as well. So um, that's all we have time for, unfortunately, um, and I look forward to talking to you next fortnight. Bye.